I'm Jessica Duenas, and this is Bottomless to Sober, the podcast where I talk about anything and everything related to life since my transition from bottomless drinking to a sober life. Today's episode features conversations surrounding pregnancy loss and abortion. If this content is not for you, I highly recommend that you skip this episode. Otherwise, enjoy. Hey everyone, I'm Jessica Duenas and I'm so, so, so excited to have Kenneth Watson, aka 12 Faces of Sober on the show today. We were literally just about to get into the conversation and I was like, oh wait, let me hit record because Kenneth's wife is literally ready to give birth at any moment. So if this episode abruptly gets stopped, it's because he had to go to the hospital. So (laughs) this is, well, hello, uh, Jessica. Thank you so much for, uh, coming uh allowing me to come on bottomless to sober and uh share a little a little something from uh my past i greatly appreciate it and appreciate all of what you're doing in the sober community thank you thank you so kenny like i said literally his wife is due at any moment now which is really really exciting and you know kenny and i have had opportunities to talk a little bit like on and off probably over the past like year and a half maybe two years at this point And, you know, I remember like when we both talked about like relationships and dating and all of this and boom, out of nowhere, Kenny's married, there's a baby on the way. So tell us a little bit about that, because I think like for anybody who's followed you, whatever you're comfortable sharing, of course. Um, But yeah, like Kenny, what what's been going on, Mr. Soon to be sober dad? This is beautiful. I, I met my wife, let me see, five years ago. Um, I was, um, on one of my many, um, I made it a point early in sobriety to, you know, travel and go to sporting events. And I was in Cleveland actually at a, a Chargers, uh, Chargers Cleveland Browns game. And she had posted something. Well, no, actually it was a, a black, a black vegan group on uh, Facebook. And so they were like, Hey, you know, post the post a picture of, uh, you know, guys wearing the suits. I'm like, shoot, you know, I'm doing community work or whatever. So posted it and, you know, got a few likes and everything. So I'm going through and was like, all right, well, I'm single. So let's see. And so she was um, one of the first persons that I actually, you know, slid in the DM and she responded. So it was like, all right, cool. So we hit it off, you know, no kids, both. Uh, well, I was uh, in completion of my master's degree, but she also had a master's degree. So it was a lot of things, you know, as far as that. And so she's, you know, we've been together, um, like, I think it just, see, what is it? I think, yeah, this past, I think it was October, October 14th, May, five years when we first met. And then this upcoming February will be um, our first year anniversary of being married. And, um, probably, you know, people are probably wondering, like, where did this come from out of left field? But I, you know, I told, I made it a point to be very careful in terms of my relationship, you know, being posted on social media, learning from my past um, mistakes um, during the days of drinking and other people on social media chiming in on my mess, you know, my mistakes and mishaps. So that was more or less where I didn't really do it. You know, I'm not ashamed of my wife. I love her to death, but it, you know, I just, there was times where I shared, you know, things on there, but I just felt like right now that's not the the goal at hand. And so a lot of people <laughs> were definitely surprised when I started posting certain things, but 
I just felt like I didn't want that, you know, part of it to be, you know, in my life. But we um, more or less like, I don't know, like we knew we were going to get married. We proposed, I proposed to her like, um, I think it was a couple years ago. And, you know, we took a little time off to, you know, get ourselves together. And then we got, you know, she came to Minnesota in December and then the baby came, you know, and it was like, all right, well, let's let's go ahead and push the the wedding day up a little bit. And so we got married in April. And But we were going to probably get married within the, probably like within the year. You know, that was a plan even before the, the baby was even, you know, uh, I thought we were going to do it. So, but yeah, but as far as that, like it, I'm not going to lie to you, my a part of my past drinking was from situations, you know, dealing with an abortion in 2008, a miscarriage in the year that I don't want to mention, but, you know, just it, 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 I knew that there was a part of me that always wanted to have a child, even, you know, dating back to when I was 14, being in the first pregnancy situation. And so to go all those years, not having, you know, having a child and now, you know, having one of my own, it's, it's truly a blessing. It, it surpasses anything thus far within my sobriety of almost seven years. So, yeah. So powerful. Congratulations. I know a big question that I'm sure people wonder, right. Especially with conversations around relationships. Um, obviously your wife is pregnant, so I know she's nine months sober for sure. Um, but is she a non-drinker or what does that look like for you all in your dynamic? I got lucky. <laughs> I got lucky. Yes. Well, I'm not going to lie. You know, she has, you know, drank, you know, she, I think she drank last year, but that was on our separation time. So I can't hold that against her, but no, our, our home is, is a hundred percent alcohol free. Um, as long as even when we were, you know, in Jacksonville and, you know, she was, you know, staying with me there, there was no alcohol. It didn't matter who my guests were, you know, so, that, that the good thing about it is, is that, you know, with our family now, you know, our son is going to, you know, will be born into a, a sober household. Cause like I said, my wife, I, I've never seen my wife drink and I don't plan on it. So if she drinks outside of me, that's her business, but she doesn't, I've never not once seen her drink in five years. Yeah. Well, that that's super powerful. And again, like I, I am so stinking happy for you. Cause it's like, I know we've been having these conversations over like I said the last year and a half two years at this point so to hear that is is really really awesome um you know one of the things that you mentioned that kind of like being careful in past relationships and kind of like some of some of the loss that you've experienced in the past what are some of like the hopes that you have like now that you're looking at parent like this is a whole new level of sobriety right like now you're looking at parenthood like I know for me I hope to get there at some point you know that's something that I have like come around to deciding like it's something I want and obviously it's now just a matter of hopefully when and if right but um I'm curious like what are like your hopes like now you're about to be a father you're about to have a son um just to be just to be the best father possible you know, there were, you know, my father was in my life and to all my friends, they thought that, you know, we were like the Cosby's, but it's like, nah, they, we got our own type of issues. And, you know, I witnessed, you know, my father abuse alcohol. So I know that that I don't want my son to ever see me intoxicated. 
because I saw that as a kid from, you know, as far as I can remember, I can remember my dad drinking. I can remember issues with the police. So those are definitely two things that I don't want, you know, my son to witness. I know that it's it's no longer, I know that once I got married, it was no longer about me. You know, now I have my wife to think about and my son to think about. So just a, a different thought process. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been a stepfather. I've dated women who've had kids. And of course, the your thought process isn't the same because these, these aren't your kids. Yeah, you may, they may respect you. You know, they may not respect you, but those are still not your kids at the end of the day. And so for me, I guess I just, I just want to, like, I, Matt, I'm glad you asked that because I, I just text two of my close friends from college and I was like, you know, they're both fathers. And I'm like, man, can you give me any type of advice, man? Like, I'm, I got, my anxiety is just crazy right now. And they're just like, you know, stay prayed up. And, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but just be present in, in your child's life. And I was like, that's all I'm trying to do. And the good thing is I'm not working. So it's like, you know, if my wife needs to rest, I can, you know what I mean? I can do whatever, you know what I mean? And even if she's at work, you know, we don't have to pay to, you know, do daycare because I'm at home all day. So, oh, no, because I was going to ask you actually, like, so what is like, what are you doing to prepare? Because I think, again, like when, when we get sober, we get a lot of tools. And one of the things that's been interesting about watching you very recently, too, I feel like you've been very vocal about how you've kind of done your own thing and kind of worked on your own path right and so now that you're you've been doing your own path that has had to work for you because different spaces didn't resonate with you as black man I'm curious like what's the preparation for the parenthood piece been looking like so you mentioned your friends and I was curious like are you work like is there any mentorship going on like what what does that whole preparation look like I have plenty of good men plenty of good men not only black men it's probably the majority and so, you know, my, my father's still alive, you know, we're, we're definitely on good terms. So I go to them, like, I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I did have like a mental, a mental health breakdown a couple of weeks ago. And I think that it was just a harsh reality of a lot of things. It was like, okay, I'm just going by, you know, the, the, the last eight months, eight months and change. And it's like, okay, I'm going to be responsible for a whole nother human being. You know what I'm saying? That according to the ultrasound looks a lot like me. So it's just kind of one of those things. It's like, it's it's something that I envisioned, but I to me, it's like, you can't prepare for it. No matter how, you know, you can sit here and you could watch all kinds of videos, watch other people's profiles. It's still not going to prepare you for you know, you being in that situation. And I've been in it before, but to 100% know, like, this is my child, there's no questioning, you know, you shouldn't have to deal with that. But that's what I had to deal with, you know, and and I paid the, the price in the process because I didn't know how to, you know, deal with my emotions at that time. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with your emotions now? And you've been sober, what, is it seven years or six years? Yeah, be seven years next week. Seven. Okay. Wow. Yeah, on the 15th. Yeah. Um, like I've been, honestly, I've been struggling because, um, therapists, like I'm, you know, big shots out to Miss Charlene, uh, Smith. I've just go, you know, she's no longer my therapist, but by far the best therapist that I've had since 2010. And 
it was to me like she was more of like an auntie than she was my therapist that the government was paying, you know, to to have these sessions. And once I left Jacksonville, I think the last session I had with her was when all all hell broke, excuse my language, last year, and I had to move back up here. And she was like, I don't care if you're out of state, but I'm going to take your, you know, I'm going to take this call. And I was like, all right. So I've been battling in terms of trying to find the right therapist, you know, like in Minnesota, there aren't therapists of color. And I want to have a therapist that has some type of knowledge of what a black person goes through or, you know what I'm saying? Because they've experienced it. When you have someone that's not of your own ethnic background, unless they're married to somebody and they still want 100% no. And so I, I had a therapist, um, she was black. She was in St. Louis. We were doing virtual, but then it was issues because, you know, she would forget that we would have the appointments. And I'm like, okay, you know, I don't know if you saw, but like, it, I think during the summer, like I would go for walks while I was having my therapy sessions and stuff like walk around the lake in my old neighborhood. So now it's just more or less of me trying to, and even though the therapist that they have had me scheduled to see next month, I got rid of her last year because of the fact that she was non-African-American and I'm telling her the stuff that I'm going through, but it's just not resonating. It's, she's not understanding it. And so I was just like, I can't, I'm sorry, no disrespect, but I can't have you as a therapist if, if we can't relate. And so, and then now, like I said, they scheduled it. And I just told my wife, I was like, wait a minute. They just said the same, the lady I had an issue with last year. So now I just, how I, more or less hard to be long-winded, but how I usually um, handle it now, I have really, really good friends. I have good friends from childhood, from junior high, elementary, college, military. I could reach out to a lot of people and even in the sober community. And so, you know, we we help each other and and that's kind of how it is. So I, I would definitely say that. So shout out to the solar community. Thankful. Thank you, because I know that I've had some hard days and I can reach out, including you. It's like, look, I'm struggling. I I don't know what to do. And and that's kind of how it is. Even though I haven't met a lot of people, obviously, in the solar community, but I still feel like we have that connection. And of course, I'm you know, we're going to meet one day, but, you know, it's just a matter of time. It, it oh for sure like either something's gonna bring me to Minnesota or you know I know you have connections in Florida for sure mm -hmm. like one of the biggest issues in terms of access to appropriate medical care for people with addiction is that right that we don't see ourselves represented in service providers and that can create a really big barrier you have to feel seen and if your provider doesn't know that doesn't understand that then it's a really difficult thing yeah. And then one thing I have an issue with, too, is that this is for any any healthcare professional. Make sure you read the chart before you see the client, because I'm going to give you an example. I was in Phoenix like I, I might have been maybe like within the first six months of me being out the army. And, you know, I was like I said, I was still I was on the tail end of my addiction. And, you know, I volunteered to go have a therapy session and uh, um the lady come, you know, calls me in the office and was like, yeah, um, so what are you here for? And I'm like, did you read anything? I'm like, I'm, you know, a victim of domestic violence. I, you know, struggling with alcohol. Hell, I probably smelled like alcohol the day I went up in there. And I was in tears. And I was like, I've, I mean, I've 
cried before in the therapy session, but not like that. It was like, dang, what's the purpose of you having me come in here for this appointment if you don't even know anything? I mean, you could have at least just five or 10 minutes before I walked in here, looked over something. No, that lady had no clue. And I said, I will never see that lady again. And sure enough, I switched therapists like the next day or that yeah. same day. I was like, I need somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even just that little personal touch, right? Like that, that can go a long, long way. So Kenny, tell me a little bit about your story, because obviously, you know, my podcast is like pretty new. Like I just started it in July. So, you know, I know you haven't been on before. And for anybody who's listening, you might be like a totally brand new human being that I'm introducing on here. And so obviously so far, they know that you are super excited to be a dad, but you know, you've done some major things. You're a vet, right? And I think like that's important. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and just kind of like how you how you got to a place of struggling with alcohol and how you came back from it? Hmm. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Florida. I was uh, born in Florida, but raised in San Diego, California. Um, my dad was in the Navy, so we kind of moved around a little bit in the kind of, um, around the country in the 80s. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my dad... Um, struggle with alcoholism while he was in the military. So I saw it. And so a lot of the, his actions, it eventually carried on to me, the love for music, playing it all day and night, um, stuff like that. Um, I would, I'm the youngest of, of five, two brothers, two sisters. I was the only one who had the issue with drinking. My other, some of my siblings, they, they drink, but no one had the issue like I did. Um, I was like anybody, you know, I ain't gonna say anybody, but I was, you know, an athlete, you know, growing up, you know, I played baseball, basketball, and football. It's pretty good at some of those sports. Some of them just kind of kept me off the streets. Um, I, I wasn't, I would say I was per, rather, you know, intelligent until I moved to one of the worst um, school districts in the county in San Diego. And I was in the top percentile. <laughs> I have to say this, I was in the top percentile in California, all the way up until like fourth grade, gifted classes, and then we moved districts, and then I just lost all of it. And so my parents didn't have education, so I always in my mind was like, they're working so hard. I know that once it's time for me to get out of school, that I need to go to college that, so that I can have hopefully a better opportunity. So I folded around, I went to four colleges and universities, uh, one HBCU, Clark Atlanta University, um, but the problem was, is once I got the degree uh, in 2003, um, the job market, you know, wasn't the greatest. And so in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, if I go to college, I invest all this time, then I'll be able to get a job. Oh, no, that wasn't the case. And the job that I did end up getting in my field, it was only paying me $7 an hour. So, of course, I'm hustling. I'm I'm substitute teaching. I'm working at a prison out here and that's that was my hustle and because of politics and everything me being a young on-air personality you got these older personalities they didn't like it because of the fact that like okay this guy is going to steal my job the hundred thousand dollar job that they got now potentially i can take and so clashes and so i ended up leaving there and i went to arizona and when I went to Arizona, I'm thinking like, okay, I have the degree, I have the experience, and now I'll be able to get a job in radio. Nah, I didn't, I didn't get a job, and I had to go get a job just like anybody else, working in department stores, post office, and so on and so forth. But in between that time, 
I'm hanging out with my brother. My brother's 10 years older than, or is 10 years older than me. So they're drinking, they're smoking. You know, at that time, I'm drinking Budweiser. They drinking malt liquor, Hennessy, and all this stuff. So now I'm going from, you know, as some would say, the mommy wine culture to now I'm drinking the, 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 the street stuff. And so when I'm drinking this, now it's bringing out a whole different person. And so I'm hanging out with these guys. They're miserable in their marriages. And I'm just a guy who's not trying to get married, but I'm absorbing all of what they're doing. And so I started to pick up that habit then because I couldn't find work. I wasn't happy with the work that I was getting. The pay was horrible, $10, $11 an hour, barely surviving. And so I ended up getting with someone. She got pregnant and ended up having an abortion and it completely drove me crazy. And so I, I told her, I said, if you do this, you're not going to get the same person. And eventually that relationship lasted for a little bit longer, but I ended up doing a night in jail and, you know, lost everything, was homeless and had to come to Minnesota. And that was my first stint in rehab. So I did three stints in rehab before I actually got to where I'm at today. Three rehabs, two detoxes, one homeless shelter. Um, but as far as where it continued to carry over, I was in the military. I served in the army for six years. If anybody knows about the military culture, you work hard, you play hard, but then you drink even harder. And I was already with the addiction before I got in the army. And so it was magnified. And at that point I was needy. I needed the attention of a woman. And so I got married to somebody that I had no business being married to. And I was with her for, for six years. And she basically told me that I wouldn't be shit, excuse my language, that I would be a drunk with, uh, um, with a bachelor's degree. And she's all right. She's absolutely correct. But I'm now sober with a master's degree. So I don't know. But and so I in in 2016, after I got the Army 2015, but 2016, um, I was in a hospital. I did nine days. Um, I had issues with my pancreas. It almost exploded, gained a lot of weight, lost a lot of weight within a nine day span. But I still didn't learn. I still didn't learn that, OK, this alcohol is taking me out. And so finally, um, I, I called my mom. Like I said, I mentioned a few minutes ago, I was in a homeless shelter and I got kicked out the homeless shelter. Called my mom. I was like, hey, can I come back to Minnesota? And she's like, but you got to get sober. I said, all right. And so I was on the bench for like two weeks. And then finally, I went ahead and um, like I did a night of a bench. I went to the casino, spent about four five hundred dollars. My mom was like, how can I help you? How can I get you sober? How can I you know, get you on the right path? because I, I don't want to bury my son. And when she said that, I just completely sobered up. I still drank until I went into rehab, but I just knew that there was, that I, this alcohol stuff wasn't for me. And so I did treatment. When I was in treatment, I got my furniture, my car from Arizona. Um, I, I'm not gonna lie, I like to say it. Um, men, we do get a chance to take furniture from the women. I took a four bedroom house full of furniture and my car, my uh, car got shipped up here when I was in in, uh, in treatment. And so once I knew that when I got out of rehab that I knew like, okay, maybe this is going to be different. I had the keys to my car. I had the keys to my apartment that day of, and then a couple of weeks later, I started grad school because I applied to grad school when I was in uh, treatment. And so that, I mean, I did that and, and pretty much over the six or uh, seven years, I've traveled 
like I said, I love sports. So I've tried to go to sport events all throughout the country. Um, I did a study abroad at Nelson Mandela University during my uh, graduate studies. Um, created a podcast, authored a book. Um, what else? Got married, have kids, you know, about to have a son. I mean, sobriety has brought a lot of stuff that I honestly did not think that I would be able to experience. And I love it. And, and I encourage anybody to just try it and, and just see what happens. You never know. That's awesome. One of the things that I noticed also that you had kind of posted about lately was sort of navigating your own path. So for anybody who might be listening and kind of trying to figure out what works for them, especially if they're a man, especially if they are a man of color, a black man who might be listening, right? Um, what what do you recommend or like what worked for you and what didn't work for you? Like, obviously I know you went to rehab, but once you get out, you know, rehab is this protective little fortress that we're all in. Cause I went to rehab too. And you're finding you're safe when you're in there. But as soon as you come out, the real world is waiting for you. So how did you transition into the real world and stay sober all this time? Like what, what did those supports look like? Was it just sober people was it all sorts of people who you were connecting with because you know some people will say like you have to only be around sober people etc so like what did it look like for you did you do I, like step programs etc things like that well i had the they the it's no longer open but there was um the next the next town over and i had been going to that aa group since like 2008 and so i would i would probably say like I did a, like a, a combination of a lot of things because for me, AA was kind of triggering because I was going to AA and I was still drinking. You know, I would either go into AA intoxicated or the moment I left, I was intoxicated. So it, it was more or less like I tried it, but I just didn't, I didn't feel comfortable in the room because I was the only black person in there. And it was, I, I wanted to be in the rooms where I can hear some similar stories, okay? Maybe some childhood trauma, certain things that that may not, you know, because you know how it is in in in, a, in in black people's homes, they don't necessarily address those hotbed issues, mental health, you know, addiction to a substance and stuff like that. And so that was it. But now, like, I would say, like, some of my friends didn't understand, like, fully understand because they still drink. And so I was still being invited to, to functions early into sobriety. And I was like, look, no, I can't go. I don't trust myself, let alone being amongst a bunch of people that's, that this is the main focus of this get together is you're gonna be drinking. And so I had to say no and be firm, like, no, I'm sorry, I don't wanna hang out. You know, now if you wanna come, you know, come hang out at my place where I know like, I'm not going to be drinking, then yeah. So I had to be, have limitations, even, you know, had company, you know, of the opposite sex. They knew they couldn't come over and, and have, it, you know, alcohol. Now, if they chose to to drink before they came over, that's their business. But I, I would have to say learning to say no. That was probably by far one of the, the hardest things for me was to say no, because I'm like, I'm boring. I can't have fun without alcohol. But then once I realized, I can see that I can and so I would say, like, getting to know myself because of the fact that, like, I was lying to myself for so many years. So it was like I had to retrain my thought, like, 
You don't have to lie your way out of everything. Just be honest. Now, if they don't like your honesty, guess what? At least, you know what I'm saying? You're not intoxicated and getting caught up in lies. So I say that um, a lot of things that I couldn't do, that that was key. Like when I was married, like it was only going to Phoenix. When I lived in North Carolina, lived in Texas, we only went to Phoenix to visit her family. Now, you know, in the last seven years, I'd have been to more states in these seven years that I did in the six that I was married. And so it's like, okay, now I can do it. I love sports. So I'm trying these things that I couldn't do, well, that I was doing when I was drinking. And am I comfortable? I tried one game. Okay, let's try another one. Let's try another one. And so that's more or less with that. But I would say just be, I, I think that for me, it was, this is all I had. It was like either I get sober and continue to live this life or you might as well just, you know, go down the road about 10 miles to the maximum prison where they got the dude that took out uh, George, uh, George Floyd. I can go in that prison where I used to work at because that's where I was headed. And so now it's like, I don't want that. And that's why I try to spread the message like, hey, it's possible. Yeah, try hey, hey, try everything. If it don't work, try something else. So that's what I did. I, I put myself, I got active in the community. I was, you know, doing community work up in St. Cloud, hanging out with the mayor, the police chief, stuff like that. So it's just kind of keeping myself busy, you know. And then I had grad school. Grad school was my therapy. Going to class every day, studying, writing 20, 25, 30 page papers was my therapy. And, and like I said, now the blessing of my wife and having an in-house therapist 24 <laughs> seven, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it just, you know, just, I guess, giving myself a chance. I didn't give myself a chance when I was drinking because I spent more time drinking than doing anything else. Now I got time. I want to go do stuff and, and I do if I'm financially able to do it. If not, I go do something for free. That's always a good point. Thank you. And so I know earlier I had asked you, like, what are you hopeful for with your son coming? Is oh. there anything that you're like fearful of with this new transition? Um, I just, I just don't want my diabetes to take me out. Mm. Um, You know, I, I said I was going to be, like super healthy, super strong before he gets here, but that's not a harsh reality. <laughs> so, I mean, I think <clears throat> just be present. I, I think what's most important, like when I played sports, my dad wasn't there. And so the the luxury of now today is that I don't have to work. My dad, at least that's what he said, he was working. So he didn't have time to watch my games. Now I do. You know, I, I I know I post on, you know, I'm going to my nephew's games on Friday nights. He plays basketball as well. Um, so I'll be doing that here in the next couple of weeks. So that's kind of, I've been preparing myself for a lot of years. I'm looking forward to whatever activity he's involved in. I will be there. If if my wife can't, I will be there. You know what I'm saying? Yelling my, you know, to the top of my lungs. But I don't know. I just, as far as fear, I'm going to be honest. Nah, I, I don't. I've seen enough fear in my life. I'm so that my son don't have to, you know what I mean? And I guess some of my past relationships prepared me. So this is, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to think about fear. 
because I, I lived that life of fear when I was drinking because it was like I didn't want to deal with nothing in, in life. So I guess I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. But Yeah, no, it, it, it does. So like, what what advice or what message would you give to anybody who maybe, yeah, like, for example, like I'm 38. Anybody who's listening who is in their late 30s, their 40s. And they're feeling like time has passed them by, right? Like that, when that, that voice comes out, that's like, it's too late. Mm. Would you say to someone? It's never too late. Because like you said, as you, you, like, I don't want to use it as a cliche, but the fear of the unknown. Like I didn't, I didn't know what long-term sobriety looked like. I, I know what a 30 days look like. I know what a, a week or two or 24 hours look like. But but this right here, and I'm living proof just by removing alcohol that all these opportunities have, you know, came available. I'm, you know, hanging out with, you know, like-minded people in the suburb community that's trying to spread awareness to it. So I would say... On social media, find some people that are truly genuine, that that even though that they're, you know, behind the phone and you may never met, but are these people, you know, would you hang out with? But, you know, would you truly trust telling personal information to? Just keep a keep a diary of you know what I mean, of how it's going, right? You know, document the good days and the bad days, okay? So that when you have that long, long-term, long you know, sobriety under your belt, you can go back and be like, okay, how did I get myself out of that situation? Okay, I was anxious, I was frustrated. Oh, I know I can go to drinking, but what are you doing now so that you're not, you know, putting yourself in that situation? Um, I would say... Be as active in the in the sober community, you know. Be careful for some snakes out there, but just be as active as you can. Ask questions. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean. I, I, That's what I was gonna ask you about too, because that was the other thing that I had noticed on some of your um, shares, like on your posts. There had there had been sort of like a few of them that made reference to, I guess, like rejection from people in the sober community. And I was curious if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, there, when I first got into the sober community, like you say 2017, cause you know, I was in treatment and I wasn't really using my phone. You know, I would reach out to people, hey, you know, I'm newly sober, you know, what advice can you give? Okay, some people wouldn't even respond. The majority of them wouldn't. So I was like, all right, well, all right, then I'm going to continue to keep posting my stuff and hopefully somebody will catch on. And then I started like, you know, after like maybe I would say maybe like year three. So like either 2019, 2020 is when I started to like people started to I don't know. It was I'm dealing with different types of people in the in the community. But it was tough because, like I said, I wanted to try this you know what i mean i wanted to really be active within it and it's like dang okay some people have you know that i reached out to had years under their belt i'm like i just want some guy i'm like look you don't have to be my sponsor i don't want a sponsor but 
you know, can I lean on you? Can I, you know, if, if I'm having a tough day, can I just be like, I wouldn't get no responses. And even now, like even, even with some of the stuff that was like, that was said like last year, like I was in an interview and, and someone was like, as if like, like that I can't go and, and study abroad in South Africa and, you know, the government pay for it. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, who are you? Like, if, if that's what happened, you know, I served my country. I earned that right. Why are you upset? You know what I mean? And then the, they made another comment like, oh, my son, he was on the, on the airplane and he pointed out a, this a black guy and asked me, why is he so dark? I'm like, so you telling me this on a podcast interview? This is, this is no joke. I said, okay. And then, you know, other, other instances, you know, people tell me, oh, you're, you're not uh, promoting AA. And I said, I never said that. I said, you could try it. If you like it, cool. But if you don't, yeah, just know that you can, you can say that you tried it. But like I said, it's for some and not for all. But I don't know. Like it to me, this ain't a popularity contest. And to to a certain extent, that's where it what it what it seems like. And with me having a master's degree in communications in this media, I analyze this every day. And I know that this is not how this community should be. But it is. And I want to change it, but you know, there needs to be a few more voices out here. But like I said, when I first started, there was nobody. Now there is. So it's kind of like, all right, let's keep going. Mm -hmm. So what would you envision it to be like if it was like ideal? More more events, more events, more sponsors, um, more more inclusiveness. Then you know. If if you guys don't want to include us, you know, we on the panel we was in this summer, like we shouldn't have to put up a fuss. Like we we were seeing, at least I know I was seeing. I brought it up to kill. I said, wait a minute, like so you telling me that this is the face of sobriety is nobody of color, or you got one person? Okay, there's more out here, and a big chunk of them. I ain't gonna say big, but a handful have been on my podcast. I had to go do the legwork to find them. You know what I mean? So, and then it kind of trickled down. Now everybody's, you know, is cool with everybody, which is cool. I wanted to continue to grow. Like I said, I just want to be happy in this community. I want to meet as many people, however, and so on. But the other BS, y'all could keep that, you know? And I just, I realized after what happened a couple of weeks ago, I'm just not going to address it. I'm just going to block the individuals and keep it moving because I don't want, you know, those people that do support me and follow me and understand, like, I'm trying my best in this journey to get deterred because of somebody else, you know, because they're of their ignorance and stupidity. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's crazy that somebody would ask you that, like, in a podcast interview. Like, that. that's wild. And, yeah, I mean, I would say I know that, I remember in the summer I was, I was out of the country visiting my mom, but I remember that's actually, it was the sober summit, which is getting redone. And, you know, I know you spoke up about it. Keola spoke up about it. And the woman who runs it, Maggie, she stepped up and for the holiday version, which is out actually this week, um, she was very intentional about bringing on 
making it a more diverse panel. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I remember Keola having like a, a big post about it and calling it out. And, you know, I, I appreciate that. Like Maggie took that feedback and did something about it. Um, and like you said, it would be great to see that happen more because addiction doesn't just affect one population. Like addiction is seen in all races, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, but the way that, you know, mainstream recovery puts it, you would think it's just like white folks who <laughs> go deal with addiction. Right. Oh, um, and, and it's not, <laughs> it, it, it's not, it, like I said, I, I love to see it like more and more just the you know, different, different pages. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's what's up. Let me follow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Every time I see if, if it's something that's tagged, like I think Jay, I think Jay had somebody on there, like somebody else, uh, like tagged him or something. So I was like, I clicked on the, that individual's profile. Okay. Yeah. I'm following them too. You know what I'm saying? Cause that's just to me is what it is. I, I love to see it. I love, you know, even if it's somebody's promoting something, I try to share that too, because I know that I'm not going to see that on other people's pages, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the other thing too, with addiction, I think like, you know, I remember, well, I don't remember cause I was a kid, but you know, when we were talking about addiction in the eighties and nineties, it was the crack epidemic and that was affecting predominantly black Americans. Right. And we, I feel like we didn't really talk about addiction. It was just criminalized. Nowadays we're, dealing with opiate addiction, you know, sweeping across the country. And, you know, now the conversation's happening, right? Because we have a certain demographic of folks that are being impacted. But the crazy thing is that there are actually plenty of people of color who are also being affected by by opiates. But, you know, of course, because the majority are white folks, you know, that has had more attention, which is wild because I I almost feel like now for example like when you hear about people talking about addiction like sometimes you would think that it as if it's just white people who are impacted but like no populations of color have been impacted historically I mean you know like I remember one of the wildest things that I remember reading and learning about once I got sober was how alcohol was used like I went to so I went to New Orleans last year and did a tour at, I cannot remember the the name of the plantation, but it was like, they went through one of the ways in which like alcohol was used with enslaved populations. And like, you gave them alcohol and you especially gave them alcohol during the holidays so that they wouldn't plan like to escape. Right. Mm -hmm. So like what a powerful way to subdue a population to give them mind altering substances, because then they're not going to be coherent enough to like plan any escape. Right. We don't have those conversations enough about how like rebellious sobriety actually really is. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you're clear headed, you are way less likely to be controlled. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't we don't talk about that enough, especially for populations of color. Like it's so important to have our clear heads. You know, I, I, I agree 100 percent. I was just. I was on the phone with uh, Keola's dad last night and we were having this exact conversation for real. Cause it, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, because like you said, you know, because it's affecting one community now they have, like you said, they got these initiatives. Okay. But where were these initiatives when you was going directly to our hoods and, and putting and showing us, how to cook the stuff, you know what I mean? But we're going to take you out. We're going to take the, the mail out the home, but this is what it is. And you guys got to deal with it. And, and so now it's like, okay, you got people of color talking about, we don't want this stuff no more. We want a different life. 
and sometimes we're not as welcome. I've even had people who have black in their their tag name and people will reach out to them like, why does it have to be about race? You know, somebody, matter of fact, I've uh, somebody gifted me a sober black veteran. Somebody inboxed me. No, they commented on my post and was like, can you make me a white sober veteran shirt? I'm like, you can go make your own damn shirt. You know what I mean? Like, but you're not going to come on my page with that stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, to me, none, the most dangerous conversation is the one where it's like, I don't see color. Like, no, I need you to see me. I need you to see me exactly as I am because this color that I carry is a huge part of my identity, my upbringing, and also a lot of the trauma that's been like put on me and my family for generations, you know? So it's so important to recognize it. Well, we've been all over the place in this conversation. <laughs> hopefully hopefully i ain't talk too much you know no 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 this has been great i mean again i'm just i'm just really excited to have, have had the opportunity to touch base with you i know you're about your life is about to completely change you know in the matter of days weeks right um so i'm just really honored that you took the time to talk to me because again you're getting ready for a big transition i'm i'm really honestly happy i'm so happy for you like when i remember when you first told me that you know you had a baby on the way and then i saw the, the marriage announcement you know i'm just really grateful to see people reaping the the fruits of this work you know and and it's it's like i wish more people could right and it not everyone gets this blessing and you know i i do feel very fortunate and you know I'm, i know you feel very blessed and fortunate too like we're definitely a minority <laughs> and um i'm i'm very grateful to be here and i'm i'm just so glad to see that you're you're happy so i was like oh let me let me reach out to kenny cuz you know i appreciate it i i really do i i appreciate it all cuz like i said it's it's uh you know being on the the interview side is is totally different than you know me being the host because I at at one point that's all I was doing was just interviewing 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 one interview you know and then about twenty more you know what I mean so it was like but it's you know it's cool it, it's I'm 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 definitely happy to be in this community and I'm happy to to you know really meet people like you that that definitely keep me you know, on the up and up of, you know, about the sobriety and not giving up, you know what I'm saying? Because there's been too many times where I'm like, man, I could just delete this account and just go live my life and and, I, and I'll be okay. It's kind of how it is, but I don't want that. I, I want to continue to spread the message. And and like I said, come in from a different perspective, you know, with an attitude, basically, you know what I'm saying? But it's, it's people are relating to it, you know what I mean? And, and so I got to keep going. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because your your son is only one of many lives you're touching. Like you've you've been touching lives for years, and now you have this beautiful life that's coming. And you know the work that you're doing. It's just like you're planting the seed. Like who knows what your son can do? Your son can do like anything, and that that's so wild because you get to be sober. Like you literally are. It's almost like you're you're creating the most fertile soil for like your son to grow. Like if your son is going to be this flower, he's going to be like this big, beautiful, like just gorgeous human being because you're giving him like the best environment to have a head start. It doesn't mean that he won't have like his own challenges. He's going to be a human being in this world. That's a crazy world. But like what, 
what a better parent than like a sober parent, right? To have. So that's just awesome. Yeah, because I, I, I definitely don't want to, you know, hear, you know, I don't want to be apologizing to my son every single time I made a mistake because I was drinking. And right. That was the only time my father apologized. And it's like, okay, but what about all the other stuff? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I'm just like, I don't want that. I just want to be present as I can. And I know the only way I can be present, I have to be sober. And yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah. Aw. Well, Kenny, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so if folks want to find Kenny, again, his handle is 12 Faces of Sober. I'll link it in my Instagram. I'll also link, um, your book is on Amazon, right? Amazon and on Walmart. All you got to do is type in the 12 Faces of Sober, as well as you can get it on my website, 12facesofsober.com. Um, I became a bestseller last February 22nd, 2022. Um, I have a few more books in the works. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I'm kind of scared to put them out, but you know, we'll, we'll see one day, but yeah, but yeah that's pretty much it. But, um, Hey, if you are enjoying what you are listening to, I invite you to subscribe and share the podcast, but also go to my website, bottomlesstosober.com and find out other opportunities to work with me from free workshops to writing classes to one-to-one -one life coaching opportunities. You can schedule a free consultation for that. Everything is available at bottomlesstosober.com. See you then.